Well, hello there and welcome back to the Thai Expat Daily Show. I'm your host, Kira Mack, as always, and delighted you've been able to tune in with us yet again for today's show. Now, before we do get into the top five stories doing the rounds here in Thailand, don't forget to like this video, subscribe to the channel, and give us an old share on social media if you can. Now, if you like listening to us on a podcast player, there's a link down below in the description where you'll find a host of available podcast players. I roughly count about 25 now at this stage. And finally, if you get some value from the show, if you want to support the show, as many people have in the last couple of weeks, you can donate or buy us a coffee with the buy me a coffee link. That's also down below in that comment section. So now that that's all done and dusted, let's jump into the top stories doing around here today. Now, the first story is all about the government and what has been going on. The coalition hopefuls unveil a pact. The Move Forward Party has given assurances that its government policies will not harm the country's constitutional monarchy. However, party leader Peter Limjanarat said on Monday that moves to amend the Les Majest law will continue, but the party will be alone in the task. An eight-party alliance led by the MFP has signed a pact outlining the working agenda of the proposal coalition government. The 23-point memorandum of understanding was signed by the eight parties yesterday. However, it admitted amending Section 112, known as the Les Majeste Law. Among the key items, however, is a charter rewrite, reinstatement of cannabis as a narcotic drug, replacing military conscription with voluntary recruitment, and pushing for a same-sex marriage law without forcing compliance by people who consider it against their religion. As he announced the completion of their agreement, Mr. Peter said it was a historic day because it marked a peaceful transition in Thai politics. The signing was arranged to coincide with the ninth anniversary of the May 22, 2014 military coup. The purpose of the MOU is to gather common agendas that we agreed to push through government and parliament. It's our collective responsibility, he said at the press conference. Mr. Peter said every party agreed that the core policies the coalition members all agreed to back must not affect the democratic system with the king as head of state and the revered status of the king cannot be violated. The eight parties with 313 house seats on Monday met for two hours at the Conrad Bangkok, the venue of the MOU signing before the ceremony, which was scheduled at 4.30 p.m. A source close to talks said that the MOU was revised at the request of coalition partners, including Thai, before the signing to include the phrase, the mission of the MFT-led government must not affect democratic systems with the king as head of state and the revered status of the king who cannot be violated. According to the source, the signed MOU slightly differed from the version seen by the media. The item on administration of justice for cases involving expression of political views was dropped. The source said Puatai reportedly disagreed with an amnesty plan since the coalition talks began due to concerns about conflict of interest and the MFT eventually agreed to exclude it from the MOU. Asked about the less majeste law, Mr. Peter said that the draft law, which was submitted to the House in February 2021, would be pushed by the party and he expected it its passage. He said that under the MOU, coalition partners could push their own agendas as long as they did not contradict the MOU and the MFP would continue to push for all policies it had campaigned on. The MFT leader laid down speculation he would not receive support from senators, saying that the working teams would hold talks with the Senate to allay any concerns senators might have over the MFT plans. 
Mr. Peter brushed off a rumour that Puatai was in talks with the Palang Pracharat party to form a rival coalition, saying the eight parties were solid. He said it was premature to discuss the allocation of cabinet portfolios and the House Speaker post following reports that he would oversee the Defence Ministry. Meanwhile, Wanwichit Bunprong, a political science lecturer at Rancic University, said the MOU would be unnecessary if the MFP-led coalition does not require votes from the Senate or Mr. Peter did not face a probe into his disqualification. The MOU is something new. It's a written agreement to prevent betrayal. It's a political tactic. As for policies, they can say what they want, but the signing of the MOU is to give the MFT confidence, he said. So this was kind of fairly historic in some of the things that have been agreed upon between this eight-party coalition. And we'll just run through some of them right now because I think they're quite interesting. So uh, there was 23 points agreed on this MOU, and this is going to form the basis of the government's policies over the next four years. Now, that's, of course, assuming that PETA can get through. Now, I do believe that we are going to have a eight-party coalition. I don't know if he's actually going to get elected as the prime minister. He's a couple of things coming up now. He's apparently holds shares in a media company, but he says they're inherited and they're not technically his. They're his father who passed away, but there's all these kind of things and that would disqualify you from running as an MP or even a prime minister at that point. The previous party leader, Tanatorn, who also was disqualified, in 2019 for the very same thing. So one would have hoped that due diligence was done before he decided to become an MP and that he understood the ramifications of holding shares. Now, it would be beyond comprehension to me to think that he did not research and do, and, and do his due diligence in relation to this. So, I mean, at the end of the day, if he hasn't and he gets disqualified because he's had shares in a media company, well, to me, tough shit. You know, you, you, you don't deserve to be prime minister if you were that dumb because your previous leader did the very same thing. So hopefully they have come up with a plan to sort this out because I think this guy actually genuinely would be a good prime minister for this country. I like the way he speaks. I like the way he portrays himself and I like his policies. So the first thing they have is they're going to push for a new constitution drafted by directed elected representatives. So to me, that actually is a positive note because the last time it was drafted by a bunch of military guys and who knows, you know, uh, pass a same-sex marriage law, push for reform of the bureaucracy, police, armed forces and justice systems. They are going to recriminalize marijuana. And I, I can tell you this, I have never seen so many shops apparently up for sale all of a sudden. Now, anybody buying a cannabis shop would need to be crazy because I would say in the next five to six months, these places will be all gone and it'll be back to the kind of the way it was in the past. Now, they have said that they are completely behind the idea of letting cannabis use uh, for medicinal purposes and they're okay with that but they are not okay with what's been going on at the moment and I think a lot of people in Thailand especially Thais because I, I don't think this is a, a foreigner issue I don't think it's something we need to be talking about and giving a huge opinion on but at the end of the day my overwhelming experience from talking with Thai people is they don't want it they see it as a negative influence on society and they never agreed with it in the first place and judging by the numbers that voted in this election I think most people agree that they don't want it for this recreational use. Now, there's a number of other things. There's 23 points, as I said. I'm not going to go through them all. But, you know, they are uh, tackle the PM 2.5 issue that's been plaguing the North and Bangkok. Uh, and, you know, trying to put um, 
more money in people's pockets seems to be the main thing. Also getting rid of these big monopolies that have uh, taken over the alcoholic drink section and opening it up and allowing smaller companies to be able to, you know, brew their own beer, their own spirits and things like this. So I think this is going to be a great thing for the country. And what it will do is it'll open up more avenues and revenue streams for different people uh, in the country and obviously putting more money in their pocket. So hopefully these things do come true. Hopefully they stick to their MOU. And I I think having a memorandum of understanding and a policy created by all parties before they go into government is a good idea because what it sounds like is the previous government from the junta basically had no policy. And you can see by the way the country was ran over the last nine years probably not and it's a good thing to have written down we agree on these things this is what we're going to push for over the next four years and I think it'll help them get re-elected again in four years time if they can follow through on the things that they have agreed to and by having such a majority in government when they have a big majority in the parliament they will be able to get their agenda through and hopefully see people's lives improve and that's my opinion at all but I'd love to know your opinion and comments down below in the comments section. Now, moving along, the Tourism Authority of Thailand to boost safety measures. With the number of Chinese visitors hitting 1 million, the Tourism Authority of Thailand and Tourist Police Bureau have committed to strengthening safety measures for travellers. Okay, so there's loads of Chinese coming. Let's strengthen things now. Tenez Petsuan, the Tat Deputy Governor for Asia and the South Pacific, said that the Tourism Authority of Thailand still has work to do to reach the target of 5 million Chinese tourists this year, with about 70% expected to be independent tourists with high purchasing power who are unfazed by deflation in China. However, challenges remain in terms of a limited quota of 84,000 visa applications per month for Chinese tourists until the end of September, which largely has an impact on big tour groups. Mr. Tenet said that the Consular Affairs Department would issue visas to tourists within 15 days and would adjust the capacity as to receive more applications in the next fiscal year, starting in October. The Tourism Authority of Thailand is still hoping to attract more Chinese tourists between June and September, as they're in demand during the school holidays, said Chuet Servakul, the TAT Regional Director of Marketing for East Asia. Meanwhile, other positive signs have come from a rising number of flights between Thailand and China, which is set to rebound to over 70% of the level recorded in 2019. China will remain the crucial source market for Thailand, which set a target for overall tourists at 25 million this year, he said. Mr. Chuit said the deflation risk in China would not affect the outbound Chinese tourists, as most of them have high purchasing power. On Monday, TAT invited 60 Chinese influencers to participate in a press conference aimed at ensuring tourist safety after concerns were raised online about the issue. Those influencers will also join trips to survey new tourism routes, destinations and activities such as products for adventure, tourism and activities for all generations. So yeah, it looks like they are definitely targeting the Chinese market. It hasn't been what they thought it would be, but there is reasons behind that. Firstly, a lack of flight capacity from China to Thailand. Also, the issue with how many visas they can issue. And that is something they brought upon themselves, which is mind-blowing considering they have been doing nothing but talk about the Chinese market for three years during COVID. And then when it's time, they're not even ready. But that's something we have seen continuously during COVID when they had all these different entry regulations and and entry procedures to come into the country and they were never ready for the influx of people and it led to people not making it here. So hopefully they've learned their lesson. 
maybe they haven't but it is good to see tourism on the up and up in Thailand now another very interesting story that I pulled out of a Canadian paper and it's quite interesting because it's another focus story on Russians and I'll go through the story and let me know if you agree or disagree especially expats here living in Phuket not Thailand anymore Russians are flocking to this resort island but not all is well in paradise It is no wonder that Russians facing travel restrictions to most of the rest of the world are flocking to Thailand. With its fine white sand, stunning landscape and rich culture, the land of a thousand smiles has much to offer paradise seekers, never mind those fleeing a tightening autocracy, economic downturn and war. The Thai island of Phuket expects to welcome one million Russians this year. The biggest group of foreign visitors by far according to the Tourism Authority of Thailand. Some are escaping the dim of winter, some are dodging the draft, others are buying local property as a ticket to a new life. But the influx of Russians since the Thai foreign ministry visited Moscow and direct flights resumed in October is a conundrum for Phuket, which depends on tourism for 90% of its economy and is still struggling to recover after the deadly 2004 tsunami and COVID-19 travel bans. Although many Russian visitors are just terrified young men, there are tensions simmering between visiting Russians and other residents. Russians in Phuket are known for their bad behaviour. Stefan Zik, manager of a large hotel off the coast of Phuket, told the Canadian publication, Drunkenness, debauchery, violence and traffic accidents are rife in the Russian-occupied zones of the island, he alleged. Nurses at the hospital in Patong, a popular Russian destination on the island, said they are seeing increasing number of people suffering from alcohol poisoning and involved in traffic accidents. Russians top the list of arrests in Phuket for crimes including theft, recklessness, causing debt and drug smuggling according to provincial police reports in local media. My family and I are moving out of Phuket after five years because we see and hear only Russians, said the man on a Phuket news site. Phuket is not Thailand anymore, but Russian territory, he added. The surge of Russian arrivals is putting pressure on the prices of real estate, motorbikes and cars on the island. Local schools have filled to capacity with Russian children, according to local media, as wealthier Russians acquire elite visas, which allow stays from 5 to 20 years for $25,000 and upwards. Almost all condo sales are to Russians, according to reports, and many are purchasing hotels, restaurants, souvenir shops and other tourism-related businesses. Some Russians are kind people. Ra Tivut, a massage parlor owner, told the Canadian publication, one of my neighbours been visiting for 15 years and became a friend, she said. But Tivut worries that Russians who can renew their visitor visa every 30 days are taking local jobs. Their Russian language proficiency is an asset to working as guides, drivers and masseurs for the Russian tourists, she said. The Public Information Centre has accused Russians of operating illegal businesses and working illegally in Phuket, according to more local reports. Thailand's ambivalence to the war has also stirred discord between older Thais who tend to ignore political issues and younger Thais who see their own hopes for democracy as connected to these struggles in Ukraine. Hundreds of Thai democracy activists declared their willingness to support Ukrainians on the battlefield in the early months of the war, according to a Reuters report, although it is not clear how many have done so. Thailand, whose foreign policy is often likened to bamboo bending with the wind, abstained from two UN General Assembly resolutions demanding Russia's withdrawal from Ukraine. It joined 140 other countries demanding an end to the war only as the battle entered its second year. Thai people are sorry about the war, Taiwan said, but we need the money. 
Thailand neutrality towards Putin is unsettling for other Western visitors. Some Ukrainians taking refuge from Russian aggression at home feel vulnerable among the much larger Russian community in Thailand, said Ilana Mar, a Ukrainian in Bangkok who has organized four rallies for her homeland. Several Ukrainians in Phuket have been physically assaulted or had property vandalized by Russians, according to local reports. Ukrainian embassy in Thailand said in an email that there are 4,405 Ukrainian citizens registered in the country. Widely shared Russian social media messages celebrating the Ukrainian invasion have also stirred Russian-Ukrainian tensions. The main benefit of living in Phuket is very few Ukrainians are here, almost none. While they sit in the trenches, we are fully chilling, reads the caption to a beach photo shared recently on a Russian-language Instagram account. But three Russian draft dodgers who spoke to news media were anything but chill. Just steps away from a Russian flag planted on Phuket's Patong Beach, one young man barely past his teens said he is anxious and homesick after two months in Phuket. His parents helped him flee to Turkey and then to Thailand when his conscription notice arrived, but he fears imprisonment if he returns to Russia. I do not know if I will ever see my parents again, he said. Another young Russian hoped living abroad could delay his mobilization to Ukraine, but new digital conscription notices mean he will have to make a quick decision to return and and fight or hide in exile indefinitely when his number is called. So that's the um, the story that I found online, published a couple of days ago. I leave the link down below in the description if you want to read it yourself. I don't know where you how you feel on this. If you're a, an expat here living in Phuket, do you believe? Do you do you find what's been said in this article be true, or do you think it's exaggerated? For tourists who've come here, how have you found it? When you've been to Phuket, has it been overpopulated by Russians? Have you felt uncomfortable? Do you think it's perfectly fine? Now, I'm not going to give my opinion on this because I think I've done it in so many other shows that at this point, I'm going to leave this to you to let me know what you think about it all. But I do want to know your opinion down below in the comment section. And finally, tourist speedboat driver to be charged for drug use. Now, we spoke about this the last day, about the accident that happened coming into Shillong Pier. A load of people were injured, six people seriously. And it turns out that the driver and the captain of the boat seems to be or was on drugs. Shillong Police Chief Lieutenant Colonel Kanan Samrak has confirmed that the driver of the speedboat that collided with a channel marker in Shillong Bay last week, injuring 35 tourists, will be charged with drug use. Colonel Kanim confirmed to the Phuket News today that a blood test conducted by Mission Hospital Phuket had confirmed that the driver, Satip Mashatai, had tested positive for amphetamine, metamphetamine, that's Yaba Ice, use. Shang police will proceed with charges for drug use, Colonel Kanin said. He will be prosecuted for that, he assured. However, Colonel Kanin said that although Satip tested positive for drug use, it did not confirm that Satip was under the influence of the narcotic at the time he was driving the tour speedboat, Tantip Marine 555, when it struck the channel marker. Phuket Governor Narang Wunsi confirmed to the press on Friday that Satip already faces up to three years in jail or a fine of 60,000 baht or both if he is found guilty of negligence that resulted in the collision. So that's just a little follow-up. But again, yet 
they don't know if he actually was under the influence when he was driving the boat it's the usual thing that goes on here actually it's called looking for a scapegoat okay now we should be questioning whether the boat was actually in good working condition the maintenance records and everything that goes along with that and you would hope that there's an overall investigation going on to it and they're not just going to try and blame one guy which is always the way it works here in thailand let's find somebody quickly to blame oh he took yaba ice three weeks ago so he's our guy i don't know i i do believe that there was a serious issue went on in that boat that you would hit a marker that i mean as the captain of the boat you are driving in and out of there every single day so you would know this so obviously something went on when this was happening it would be interesting to see the statements of the other people on board the boat and especially the other staff that were working to find out exactly how this would have happened but again we won't know and in fact i don't think we're ever going to really find out the full story but that is it for today guys thanks again for tuning in and we'll talk to you tomorrow stay safe out there and have a great day but ultimately, with this story or anything else that stood out to you today, I'd love to know your thoughts in the comments down below. Because yes, this is a new show, but it's also a conversation. Now keep that conversation going. Make sure you like this video, subscribe to the channel, share the video, and do all the good stuff that does help that YouTube algorithm. But ultimately, my name is Kieran Mack. You've been listening to the Thai Expat Daily Show, and we will see you next time.